0: Hi, this is 112BK. I'm Mackenzie Fagan, sitting in for Ashley Ford. Coming up, he tried to unseat the mayor last year. Now he sits on a commission that could restrain the mayor's powers.
1: How does our politics work? What can we do better to make this a stronger democracy. We know the polluting influence of big money into our politics has caused tremendous problems, scandals, indictments, convictions. We see that in New York City, we see it in New York State.
0: And then IFP Week comes to Brooklyn. Why this event matters for independent media.
2: That's the nice and I think quite beautiful thing that IFP does is we're not just kind of like closed doors making things happen. We're trying to bring it all back home then, too.
0: Hi, thanks for tuning in. Later in the show, we'll be joined by two programmers from IFP Week, that is the Independent Filmmaker Project Week, which is coming to Brooklyn next week. We'll learn about what's happening and what people both in the industry and out should know. But first, we have in the studio former mayoral candidate, former city councilor, and current committee member of one of the two New York City Charter Revision Commissions. That's right, there are two, one appointed by the mayor, the other assembled by the city council and others. Why two? We'll get to that. The New York City Charter, for those like me who've always glossed over the subject, is the document that defines the functions, organization, powers, obligations, and liabilities of the city's government, basically a kind of manual for how the government operates. Sal Albanese, appointed by Borough President Eric Adams, sits on the City Council's Commission. His selection was somewhat controversial, or should I say provocative, since Albanese is a critic of Mayor de Blasio. He ran against him last year for the Democratic nomination, and he's described the mayor's own commission as faux. To tell us what we can expect from this complicated process and why we need two commissions, we welcome Mr. Albanese to 112BK. Thanks for joining us. Great to be here.
1: Thank you for that great introduction.
0: As I mentioned, a lot of people are unaware about what the charter is and why it's important
1: well as you point out, it's the governing document of new york city it's the city's constitution and what's unique about this charter is it's not dominated by the mayor most of the prior charters were basically all the appointees were mayoral appointees the mayor has input into this charter but other elected officials like Bar President Adams, the uh, city council president, the speaker of the city council, all have appointees on this 15-member commission. It's also unique because it has a very broad mandate to look at every single provision of the city charter. The mayor's commission and prior commissions had a very narrow focus. We, we have a broad mandate, and we're going to look at the entire charter and see how how we can make New York City better over the next 30 years. We haven't done that. I mean, there are a lot of issues regarding planning and land use, which were discussed in the Bronx hearing last night, where what do we want the city to look like in 30 years? Do we want it to look like Shanghai, all big towers? Do we want to maintain the character of neighborhoods? So land use power is one of the areas we are going to be looked at. It's also connected to affordable housing. These are issues where communities around the city are asking why don't we have more input? And that's gonna be an important area. We're gonna be looking at technology. How do we update the city's technology so that people can get access to information? We need to put that in the charter because the public wants information that's related to their government and they should have access to it very quickly. The other areas are infrastructure. Uh, how do we begin to focus on our collapsing infrastructure in the city? What do we do governmentally in the charter to make sure that that the city's uh, highways, roads, bridges, our mass transit system is functional and it's also upgraded? So those are very broad areas. And the other key issue is How does our politics work? What can we do better to make this a stronger democracy? We know the polluting influence of big money into our politics has caused tremendous problems, scandals, indictments, convictions. We see that in New York City. We see it in New York State. Uh, We're New York City. We're the greatest city in the world. We should be the Athens of the country where we have the best democracy. Other cities and states have taken money out of the process. One of the things that President Adams asked me to focus on, because he's a champion of this, and I have to give him credit, he's courageous. He's one of the few elected officials, the only one who says we need to take money out of the equation and go towards a 100 percent public financing scheme in New York City. Other cities have done this. Seattle has a great program. Arizona is a state, Connecticut, Maine, Vermont, all have great public financing schemes. What we have in New York City isn't working, and we saw that through the many scandals over the last eight years and prior to that. So our politics are also dictated by the city charter, and we think that we have a great opportunity because we have a year to work on this. The proposals will go on the ballot next November. And we welcome the public. You know, one of the things about New York City, and you know this, uh, I know it as New Yorkers, we have a lot of great minds out there. We want them to come forward and give us their ideas, their proposals on any number of issues that we need to look at. I've got my own ideas. Other commissioners have proposals as well. But the public needs to come out and participate, either in writing. They can look Go to our website and submit testimony or come to the hearings. Monday night in Brooklyn, we're at Megarevers at 6 o'clock. We would love to see the public at that event, and we'll sit there for hours listening to ideas exchanging feedback like we did last night in the Bronx.
0: That's great. So sort of the high-level overview of what the New York City Charter is is sort of operational guidelines for how a city is run, from zoning to technology to democratic process, right?
1: Well, the operation is really left to the agencies Mm -hmm. um, under the administrative law. What we do is we structure the broad powers of elected officials, of agencies. The actual nuts and bolts gets done at the administrative level. Up to the but, agencies. Yeah, and so. then
0: from time to time, these commissions have been convened to re-examine the city charter, see what needs to be changed or updated. Is that correct?
1: Absolutely. I, I, l- listen, the city evolves. It's a different city than it was 30, 40 years ago. It'll be a different city 30 years from now. We have to look down the road and see, how do we how do we maintain the vitality and the greatness of New York City? And the charter is a in my opinion, a living and evolving document. Living document. It has to be. Right. It has to be tweaked on a regular basis. I think every mayor should convene a couple of charter commissions, the city council as well, and it shouldn't be a narrow focus. We need to look at everything because. And,
0: and so the mayor did convene um, his own commission to look at some narrow issues. Is this correct regarding campaign finance? Tell me exactly the different mandate that the city council's commission has, and why do we need these two different commissions looking at the same document?
1: Once again, the mayor's commission is very narrow in focus. They were convened to focus on campaign finance reform. How do we get more people involved in the political process? Our mandate is much broader, and I think commissions should have that broad mandate. And mayor's prior to Mayor de Blasio, have done the same thing. And I think we need this commission because we really need to look at the entire city government, Mm -hmm. not just the campaign finance piece. And the campaign finance piece, as you pointed out, will be on the ballot in November in terms of lowering contribution limits. I don't think it'll do anything in terms of taking conflicted cash out of the process.
0: Is that why you were a critic of his commission and called it a faux commission?
1: Yes, that's right. And by the way, the editorial boards all have said the same thing, that they laid a big goose egg. I mean, they really didn't do much. I didn't expect much, because when you tell a commission, this is what I want you to look at, and, and basically they, they're going to do what the mayor wants them to do. In my opinion, this is a more independent commission. The Speaker of the City Council, Corey Johnson, has four appointees. I have to tell you, I've had conversations with him. He's open to reviewing the entire government of New York City, um, and, and uh, I'm impressed with that. And I, Borough President Adams feels the same way. Uh, So I'm looking forward to it. I'm actually excited about it.
0: That's great. So in November, you mentioned people are going to go and vote on what the Mayor's Commission has proposed for campaign finance. I'm curious about ways in which you hope that the City Council Commission will go further or um, have some different ideas about how Um, to take money out of politics.
1: the, The Mayor's Commission, unfortunately, doesn't do the job. Basically it keeps conflicted cash in the process. Lobbyists can still bundle money developers can bundle money. We want to take that out of the equation. What I'm proposing, and what President Adams is, is supportive of, is the, the Seattle uh, plan, which is called Democracy Vouchers. Every registered voter in Seattle receives four $25 vouchers. So elected officials, it's like a mini rebate, will have to go to those folks. And whether you're a millionaire who lives in the Ritzier part of New York City, or you live in the pink houses, A New York City public housing uh, development, where you're earning thirty thousand dollars a year, you will have the same vouchers. So elected officials will engage regular folks. They'll go to block parties and say, "I'm running. I'm Sal Albanese. I'm running. I would love your support. I would love your voucher." The way it operates now, it's it's sad but true. People get on the phone with deep-pocketed sources to raise their money. So. There's a correlation between who contributes money and the kind of attention that they get. I would say that if if we had democracy vouchers, the New York City Housing Authority developments would be in much better shape uh, than than what, what we see today, where it's collapsing. Money in politics is, I think, the central issue. It's... It's really corrupting our democracy. New York City should be in the vanguard of real reform. And I'm, I have to, once again, commend Borough President Adams because of his unique position here, saying, you know, we're at the stage now where we have to take money out of politics. We need to make our democracy work. We need to feel that every citizen in this city has a say. And the Seattle voucher uh, program... I consider the the gold standard for campaign finance reform. I've talked to the people there. I'm impressed with what they've done. And people say, well, you can't do that. I said, hey, we're not reinventing the wheel. Look at the model. Look at Seattle. Look at Connecticut. Look at Arizona. And by the way, the democracy vouchers had bipartisan support in Seattle. Even Republicans, who generally tend to be opposed to campaign finance, supported it. It's a great plan. And we think New York City, which is the greatest city in the world, have the greatest democracy, And because of the politics that we have in New York City, where most elected officials, unfortunately, are indebted to lobbyists and developers and what have you, it's not going to get done. Through the Charter Revision Commission, there's a real possibility we can get that done. I know this, that if we put this on the ballot, it'll pass, like term limits passed. Mm -hmm. So it's going to be very interesting. It's my top priority, I've got others, um, but that's my top priority.
0: seems like a great way to engage people in the democratic process, for sure. And I've seen also that some of the other focuses, both yours and by other commissioners on this city council commission, have to do with oversight of mayoral power. Would you say that that's correct?
1: That's a a great point. One of the things we're exploring is advice and consent. Right now, the mayor appoints high-level commissioners, and the city council plays no role. We want to see those commissioners, for example, the police commissioner, the chancellor, go before the city council and be vetted, or the council members ask real deep questions, and it helps to bring the best and the brightest into government. It also gives the city council a little bit more leverage because the mayor has to go to them and say, hey, this is the person that I want. I would love love your consent. So, Before the person gets the job, the city council has to vote on that job. It happens at the federal level. It happens in other cities. And um, I I know that the council wants to grow up, wants to become a a, a more effective legislature. Advice and consent is good for them. It's also good for the public because when you vet candidates, you know, a lot of stuff comes out. And and if they have a, a bad history and all of that is put into the public domain, we could be spared a bad commissioner.
0: And you challenged de Blasio in the primaries for mayor. And also there have been rumors that Borough President Adams might also be eyeing a mayoral run. Would either of you as mayor be happy to that amount of oversight that you're suggesting?
1: I, yeah, I'm i not interested in running for mayor. I ran and the public rejected me. <laughs> uh, so uh, I think Borough President Adams is a very open kind of person and I think he would he would certainly I'm sure I, I don't know, I haven't asked him, but I think he would support it.
0: So in our few minutes, I want to talk more about how the public can be involved in this process. You mentioned that there are hearings happening all across the five boroughs, and there'll be a first round, and then later in 2019, there will be a second round. Is that right?
1: That's correct. That's correct. There's a, The first round, we're in the middle of that right now, will be held throughout September in each borough. We're in the Bronx last night. We're in Brooklyn Monday. We're doing Staten Island, Queens, and Manhattan. And then we go into what I call Internal sessions where we discuss some of the proposals, some of the things that I've proposed, other commissions have proposed, what the public is proposing. Then we have a second round of hearings in the spring, once again throughout the city. And at those hearings, we would like to hear from the public. As I said, there are a lot of smart people out there. I, I met them on the campaign trail. I met them throughout my years in public service. We want to hear what they have to say. And we got some good feedback last night about a number of issues, especially about land use and development. That's really something that's quite controversial as neighborhoods are being gentrified and working class people are being driven out. So land use is, a, is an important issue. And there were some really good ideas. The city council has a what a progressive caucus. They've got a, a number of proposals that I'm waiting to read that focus on land use and development. We want a city for everyone. We don't want a city that just has wealthy people here and we just have these huge towers. We want a city that people could afford to live in. People grew up here. They love it. And part of that is having a government that's responsive Absolutely.
0: To that. Well, we hope that Brooklyn turns out in force to Medgar Evers College on Monday. Sal Albanese, no thank you so much for joining us uh, and talking to us about the New York City Charter.
1: Thank you for having me. It was a great discussion.
0: Thanks. Boots Riley, writer and director of the recent film Sorry to Bother You, had this to say about IFP Week. That's Independent Filmmaker Project, if you didn't know. They say IFP Week is like speed dating for filmmakers and producers, but it's more like an orgy for filmmakers and producers. An orgy where every single participant is hot and no one uses protection. Often this leads to beautiful babies being made with folks who were recently strangers. So, IFP Week turns 40 this year, and we want to know if we can expect more beautiful babies from this coming round of meetings, conferences, and consultations. For that, we welcome to the studio Bill Curran, Programming Producer with Made in New York Media Center by IFP. Great to have you, Bill.
3: Thanks. Thanks for having me.
0: And we also have Zach Mandanak, IFP Program Manager. Thanks for joining us as well.
3: Thank you for having me.
0: So, tell us a little bit beyond an orgy for filmmakers what I love IFP that Week is and uh, why people should care about it if they themselves are not media makers.
3: Well, IFP Week, this is our 40th edition, on top of the fact that it is an annual kind of gathering of filmmakers, artists, industry members. It started back in 1979 as kind of a sidebar program uh, to the New York Film Festival, actually, at the time. And this being the late 70s, independent filmmakers here in the U.S. wanted to kind of create a sense of community. And that's really been what IFP has always been about. That's been our mission really for the last 40 years now. And so IFP Week is this kind of annual gathering where these people come to pitch their projects, exchange ideas, hear about other people's work. It's an inspiring environment that I feel like has been kind of the backbone of the organization for decades now.
0: And Bill, you deal more with public engagement, people who maybe aren't media makers themselves. Can you tell me a little bit about what IFP Week has in store for uh, the general public?
2: Part of the backbone that we recognize in terms of building a community of filmmakers and artists is not just industry-facing meetings and getting projects off the ground, but inspiring a next generation of creators, filmmakers, artists to get out there and make work and also to learn from people who have not only done it, but maybe have come through our doors. So this year, our big focus has been our umbrella theme of Notes to the Future. So in celebrating our 40th anniversary, we're bringing back a lot of alumni, past, present, some very recent alumni who... Boots even Riley included. Boots Riley included. Coming
3: back for the orgy once again, I suppose. Yes, I know. <laughs> yes,
2: in <laughs> that apt metaphor. And so, particularly on Sunday, uh, here at Brick, actually, we're holding a day of talks and programs, including people like Boots, Roger Ross Williams, an Academy Award winner, also folks from Queen Sugar, all of them alumni, uh, Random Acts of Flyness, creators featured, including Terence Nance, will be here. So, We're hoping that's a really inspiring day. And then we have a number of panels and talks and keynotes throughout the week. And then we're also launching a very exciting program on Saturday, this Saturday, at the Media Center. That's called our Time for Action Forum. And I think that's gonna be putting into practice a lot of what has already been built into our programming, which is talking about representation, inclusion, and activism in media. So I'm really excited about that as well.
0: That's great, and there's been so much talk about diversity and inclusion in film and other media. Can you guys tell me a little bit about how you guys are thinking about that, how that's impacting your programming?
3: I think it was actually, I was kind of preparing myself for this, looking back at the history of IFP and the amount of films that we've supported. And you look back, and I mean, there are a lot of these kind of now seen as landmark films, especially by African-American filmmakers, things like Daughters of the Dust from Julie Dash and things like that. But I think now, because of this kind of increased access moment and the visibility that people have and activists have, I think it's important and vital to kind of keep doing that work and instead just kind of make sure that especially the work that we do is kind of based on that. I mean, it's about creating career sustainability for independent artists and underrepresented artists as well. And so I think to make sure that we're continuing to sound that bell is always important and never kind of should fade away.
0: And Zach, the world of independent film financing is rather opaque, especially if you're not in the industry. So can you tell me a little bit about what IFP does and the role that IFP Week serves to filmmakers? Are you guys matchmakers? What are you doing?
3: So, So what I help in overseeing is the project form, which is kind of this large scale marketplace for feature films. And now in the last few years, we've kind of opened that up to episodic content as well kind of more traditional TV projects and web projects, and now this year for the first time, audio projects as well. But so those projects, and we've selected 150 of them in total, come to New York, and they'll be here next week. Um, And then various members of the industry, financiers, production companies, festival programmers, distributors, sales agents, talent agents, it really runs the gamut, register to attend IFP Week, and they can select any number of projects they'd like to sit down with. And it is then, yes, up to us to then schedule each and every single one of those meetings in the project forum. And we have, I believe we'll end up having around 3000 meetings scheduled over the course of a few days. So it's a bit intense, but yes, that is kind of the baseline idea of it being, let's bring these people to bed together so that filmmakers can access these people that can kind of be behind closed doors to a lot of independent filmmakers.
2: The exciting thing for us in terms of IFP and community being such a huge part of what we do is a lot of those projects that go through. Of course, we want to see the light of day, and we try to highlight those projects, not only because we're proud, but because they deserve to have their voices heard and also deserve to have a chance to give back to potentially new generations. So even, as Zach mentioned, Julie Dash, she's going to be speaking on the Queen Sugar panel. She's uh, an artist, a filmmaker who made a seminal film and had a long career in terms of getting other work out there. And so the fact that in the, the medium of television has now given her a new voice to, to work on a show, uh, Ava DuVernay's and Oprah Winfrey's show, Queen Sugar, is really exciting for mm-hmm. us. So that's the nice and I think quite beautiful thing that IFP does is uh, we're not just kind of like closed doors making things happen. We're, we're trying to bring it all back home then too.
0: That's great. And so much of what we see in the media that we're exposed to has to do with what gets funded. And so it seems like IFP plays a really important role in making sure that underrepresented voices are meeting with the people who can fund those projects. And we've mentioned a couple of those projects, but I'm really curious about if you guys have favorite IFP projects that hold a personal place in your heart.
2: From my end, uh, you know, less individual projects then it's still quite Amazing to look back on the crop of filmmakers, people like Charles Burnett participating in one of the very, very first IFP weeks in the marketplace, people like Todd Haynes, and then a new generation like Kathy Ann, who went through the labs last year and premiered her film at Sundance, and now will be directing a superhero movie for Warner Brothers. And that's not necessarily the uh, end goal for every filmmaker, but it's still qu- quite amazing and inspiring. Something like An Oversimplification of Her Beauty, Taryn Nance's uh, first film. That's a particularly amazing project just because it's such a off-the-wall, crazy idea. And he got it made, and he got it around to festivals, and now he's developed an equally off-the-wall and crazy show for HBO that now has a huge audience. For me, it's kind of exciting just to even look back and be at an organization that has a storied history, but also has clearly taken a lot of risks with very important filmmakers who are clearly influencing a lot of people absolutely mm-hmm.
0: well congratulations on 40 years of making media and we look forward to seeing what emerges from this year's session
2: thank, thank you. you Mackenzie you can go to ifpweek.com I got to give the plug ifpweek.com we have tickets to our events morning stuff Saturday and Sunday events it's gonna be great
0: great thank you Zach though thank, thank you, you. And now some news in collaboration with Brooklyner. Seven members of the NYPD, three sergeants, two detectives, and two police officers, were arrested and divested of their guns and shields because of their alleged involvement in protecting a prostitution and gambling ring. More than a dozen other cops in the Brooklyn South narcotics squad face further investigation from the NYPD's Internal Affairs Bureau. This is the plot of Serpico. It sounds like it's something from the 70s. To much online backlash, President Donald Trump tweeted Thursday morning that the official death toll in Puerto Rico after last year's Hurricane Maria was wrong and called it a plot by Democrats to make him quote, look as bad as possible. We're not sure he needs much help with that. But Puerto Rico's governor raised Maria's official death toll last month from 64 to 2,975 after an independent study, a study not conducted by the Democratic Party, found that the people who died in the storm's aftermath had been severely undercounted. Michelle Obama will be in Brooklyn this December as part of her book tour for her upcoming memoir, Becoming. The former First Lady will appear at the Barclays Center on December 1st as part of her 10-city tour, and it will be her only stop in New York City. Tickets go on sale September 21st at 10 a.m. For more on these and other stories, check out Brooklyner at bklyner.com. That's it for today. We'll see you next week when we bring you a Brooklyn-based reporter's roundtable on Thursday's primary results, the latest on the City Council's new investigation unit, and we'll pour one out for Fiorello LaGuardia. Have a great weekend, and let's hope for the best with Hurricane Florence. 112BK is hosted by Ashley Ford, except when she's off getting married. Congratulations, Ashley. So for the next couple of weeks, it will be hosted by me, Mackenzie Fagan. It is written and produced by Ross Tuttle, also produced by Fred Brown, Shireen Barhi, Isabella Cantara, Ariana Rosas, Naeem Van, Kritzi Roberts, and Emily Bogosian. It is recorded by Clinton Filson Jr., Eric Hageseg, and Antonio M. Rosario. And it is edited by Mira Al Rahim and executive produced by Aziz Aisham, Jonathan Leaf, and Sasha Mathias.